0: And welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. A podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy!
1: Hi and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy President's Day! Our staff is lucky enough to have the day off of work, so I'm sure many of us are at home catching up on some sewing. My husband does have to work today, so I have the whole day to myself, so I'll be working on a UFO, and I just bought a new pattern I might pull fabrics for. But anyway, we have a great episode for you today. We're sharing five things that may be zapping your creative energy. It's an eye-opening episode. Then we're sharing stories of quilters making a difference in their communities, tips for sewing on borders, and the history of crazy quilts. We also chat with Heidi Staples of A Fabric Mutt. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. So let's dive in. If you're having trouble starting a new project or feel stalled in the creative process, there are some common culprits that could be causing the problem. I'm here with Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, who's ready to share five things that
2: are zapping your creativity. So I will be the first to admit that I often scroll through Instagram and Pinterest looking for beautiful quilt inspiration. While I do, in fact, find things that are inspiring, I turn off my phone feeling completely overwhelmed by all of the possibilities. This overwhelming feeling leads me to not making anything because I just feel stuck, unsure of what to do next. Luckily, there are some ways to combat that paralyzed feeling so we can start doing what we love, sewing. Exactly. So what's the first culprit? Enemy number one is information overload. The internet is one of the most creative spaces there is, but between Pinterest, blogs, Instagram, and YouTube, we could easily get stuck looking at creative things all day without actually doing anything creative. It's easy to get sidetracked and overwhelmed when browsing the web for ideas, especially when you throw Facebook notifications and texts into the mix too much inspiration can make us unsure about where to start or how to start, which can lead to no start at all. I
1: completely understand this. Especially now that many phones have the notifications that tell you how long your screen time is each week, it's become even more apparent to me how often I sit on my phone and scroll instead of actually spending time in my sewing room. And to be totally transparent, and I am actually ashamed to say this, My screen time averages about three hours per day. Now I know I do social media for work, but that's still too much time on my phone. So how can we overcome
2: this information overload? It's fine to turn to Pinterest for inspiration and ideas, but put a time limit on your research. Daydreaming and planning is most definitely part of the creative process, but it's only the first step. Make your workspace an internet-free zone so you can listen to your inner voice and explore your creativity without relying on other people's ideas when you get stuck. Great idea. So what's the next obstacle to creativity? Workspace clutter. Think of your workspace as a blank canvas. When it's clean, the possibilities are endless. But when it's full of in-progress projects, yesterday's mail, and a half-eaten candy bar, it's hard to see the canvas with the fresh eye. Many times, the dread of cleaning your workspace makes you more likely to put off another project or avoid starting a new one. I hear ya. In fact, right now I'm
1: dealing with the stress of my UFOs piling up. I have UFOs stored in drawers, on shelves, and even in boxes sitting on the floor, so I'm finding it hard to sit down with a new project because I have the parts and pieces for other projects scattered across my room.
2: A clutter-free work environment lets you think creatively without getting distracted. Here's a tip I found really works. Set aside 10 minutes each time you finish a project to put things away. Out of sight means out of mind. So when everything is put away, you'll be able to focus all your creativity in one place. It also means you'll be able to jump right into your next project without adding cleaning to your to-do list first. I like that idea.
1: A few minutes to get organized here and there will really add up. So what's
2: another creative pitfall we should all avoid? The next thing to avoid is multitasking. If your to-do list is a mile long, you're much more likely to be distracted when starting a project or pushing the idea aside when reality calls. And while multitasking sometimes seems like a good idea, catching up on episodes of This Is Us while answering work emails, making dinner for the family, and sewing could end up in mistakes and more work in the long run. Plus, your brain is switching from one thing to another so fast that it doesn't have time to delve into the craft and get creative. I totally understand especially as
1: women i think we all have so much on our plate and it's easy to turn to multitasking to get everything done and sewing sometimes feels like such a luxury that i bet many of us feel guilty taking time to sew and worry
2: about nothing else for a period of time exactly instead of trying to do too many things at once set aside a certain time every day to focus on a project When your attention isn't divided, you can concentrate more on the creative process and your passion. Sewing will stop feeling like something you need to squeeze in between other things and start feeling like an everyday luxury. So, Allison, do you set aside time each day to sew? I actually don't have a dedicated time set aside to sew, but I do make sure to get to my machine a couple times a week. Sewing is such a stress reliever and form of relaxation for me, so sometimes working on a hobby can seem like a luxury, Remind yourself that you're actually taking a well-deserved mental break when you sew. And if I'm having a particularly busy and stressful week and I'm feeling a bit lost, I know it's time to get to my sewing room and just start making. I usually end up sewing even longer than I anticipated because it's just so relaxing. That's perfect. So what's another culprit of creativity? Now this is one I can definitely relate to. It's your inner perfectionist. We've all been there. You start a project pinned on Pinterest and the final product looks nothing like the picture your inner critic comes in telling you that you should have used a different fabric splurged on the more expensive tool or practiced your machine quilting a bit longer this perfectionist mentality leaves no room for creativity and will almost always lead to disappointment in the final product I'm sure most
1: quilters can relate to this feeling it can be a really defeating feeling to work through
2: so what do you suggest Creativity is a journey, so instead of always focusing on the final project or what others will think when they see it, just enjoy the steps. Finding happiness in choosing supplies, letting your mind wander while designing, and carving out time in your schedule to work on a new project will expand your creativity and make you proud of the finished project.
1: Right. Just enjoy the process, and if you do, there's no way you won't have pride about your finished quilt. Okay, there's one more common issue we need to discuss.
2: Yes. That issue is deadlines. Besides being stressful, deadlines can quickly turn play into work. You become so focused on when it gets done rather than how it gets done. A really creative final product needs a little planning, a little experimentation, and a little contemplation. If you're working with a limited time period, you sometimes don't have the freedom to totally give yourself to a craft and see where it takes you.
1: So true. If it's a baby shower or wedding gifts it's likely you're using a tried and true pattern that you're comfortable with to hit that deadline. Or if it's a work project, you may be zipping through it so you can have a little more time to sew
2: personal projects. But we can't completely avoid deadlines, right? Right. (laughs) Deadlines, unfortunately, are unavoidable, but they only zap your creativity if you let them. Instead of thinking, this project will only take me a few hours, so I'll wait until the last day, get in the habit of doing everything ahead of schedule. That way, you have time to get creative without worrying about simply getting it done in time. We actually have a really great
1: project tracker printable online that may help with projects for deadlines. It has a place to add deadlines, notes, track your progress, and plan exactly what steps need to be done by certain dates. So you can hit your goals. We'll link to it in
2: the show notes. It's easy to be inspired to make a million different things that we want to start right away. The best way to use that inspiration and creativity is by taking it one project at a time. This prevents us from getting burnt out and feeling overwhelmed by all of our UFOs. I encourage you to take a little less time scrolling through social media this year and a little more time tackling those projects.
1: We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Allison for Quilting Changes Everything, a segment where we share stories of quilters making a difference in
2: their communities. What do you have for us today, Allison? Well, when I started taking home economics in middle school, we learned how to sew wind socks. I can honestly say that the only lasting impression that I had on me was how peculiar of a project it was for an introduction to sewing. <laughs> for students at Savannah Park Middle School in Maryland, they're making a much more impactful statement with their first foray into sewing. Family and Consumer Sciences teacher Rebecca Jenkins taught her junior high students how to sew chemotherapy port pillows for cancer patients. We chose to donate to Johns Hopkins because I had a personal experience with an oncology doctor who changed my life with her second opinion, said Rebecca. Johns Hopkins was very excited about the donation and said the seatbelt chemo port pillows would be given to new patients during their chemotherapy orientation. Each pillow is made with flannel so it's comfortable to use. The pillows are attached to seatbelts so the thick webbing doesn't rub and irritate their port placement. Students have really embraced this project and have even dedicated extra time to sewing more pillows. For one student, James, this project has become much more than just a school activity. He spends time after school sewing more pillows. He said, I just want to help people and Johns Hopkins is a great hospital and they have saved so many lives. James isn't the only student going above and beyond. Three other students in the class are considered senior sewers because they have had prior sewing experience. These four students act as role models and have helped guide their peers through the process. Ronnie, another one of the senior sewers, said, I feel like nowadays people assume that kids are consumed in electronics and don't care about people. Ronnie and the rest of the class are definitely breaking down stereotypes and misconceptions by working on this project. It has encouraged them to be involved and give back to their community. So far, the class has made several hundred pillows to donate to Johns Hopkins. I am proud that my students were intrinsically motivated to work on this project, said Rebecca. Middle school is a tough age, but their willingness to give back really shows how generous and kind the Savannah Park Middle School population can be.
1: I always love hearing stories like that. Just kids learning a new skill and getting to help others. It's really encouraging. Yeah, and.
2: The fact that they, you know, spend their after-school time working on it means they really care about it. Exactly. So what's next? All right. If you live in an area that gets cold and snowy during the winter, you know how miserable it can be. I try to avoid going outside as much as possible during frigid temps, but for some people, that's not an option. For the homeless, winters can be long, harsh, and even deadly. Thankfully, the Sleeping Bag Ministry in Chicago is doing something to help. For more than 20 years, the Sleeping Bag Ministry has been sewing sleeping bags and scarves to donate to the homeless in the Austin area of Chicago. Each week, a group of volunteers meets at United Lutheran Church in Oak Park to sew. Pat Hennick, one of the volunteers, says, We sew the fabric samples together, use blankets or mattress pads for filler, and flannel sheets for lining. Men's ties are sewn at the bottom to tie up the rolled sleeping bag. They are beautiful when we get them finished. Many of the materials that go into making the sleeping bags are donated by design firms at the Merchandise Mart, Crate and Barrel, and Pottery Barn. Local community members also generously provide materials. The church has large tables where volunteers can spread out and work on assembling sleeping bags each week. It provides a great space for them to get together, spread out, and work on making a difference in their community. They are also able to store their materials in sleeping bags at the church until they're ready to be donated in december the group delivered 30 sleeping bags 20 hand knit scarves and dozens of toiletries to the fraternite de notre dame sisters the sleeping bag ministry welcomes volunteers and donations at each weekly meeting
1: wow yeah especially when it is so cold chicago anywhere in the midwest we know we're in iowa gets so freezing so these sleeping bags really are helping those who don't have the option of Mm -hmm. always being inside
2: I'm back with Allison for Ask Us Anything. I'm here with a common question that we get a lot about borders. I love the look of borders and prefer to add them to most of my quilts, even when the pattern doesn't call for them. But how do I figure out how wide they should be? When adding borders to your quilt, there are two main things you should consider. First, think about how large you want your finished quilt to be. If you want to make your quilt significantly larger without adding more blocks, consider adding multiple borders to add visual interest. If you just add one really large border to your quilt, it creates a lot of visual dead space all around your quilt. Think of your quilt as a whole story rather than a quilt center with a border. Second, think about the proportions of your quilt. Proportion is key because you don't want your border to overwhelm the quilt, but you also don't want it to look small compared to the scale of your blocks. A small wall hanging should have a border of less than 6 inches, while a king size quilt can handle a 12 to 14 inch border. An easy way to figure out your border width is to look at the size of the blocks in your quilt. If your blocks finish at 6 inches, try adding a 6 inch border to your quilt. If you're still unsure of how large your border should be, try it out before you cut and sew. Using a design wall or laying your quilt on the floor, fold your border fabric to the size you're thinking of cutting and put it next to your quilt. Take a step back and see how the border works with the quilt. Play around with different widths and see what works best. You can even snap photos as you adjust the width to see which proportions will work for your project.
1: Thanks, Allison. Thanks. Allison actually did a great video demonstrating a lot of what she just talked about, so we will link to that in the show notes so you can see in more detail. I'm here with Jody Sanders, the editor of American Patchwork and Quilting for Collector's Corner, a segment where we explore antique quilts and notions in their history. So what are we gonna be talking about today, Jody?
3: Well, today we're gonna to talk about crazy quilts. Now, if you look crazy quilts up in the dictionary, Merriam-Webster defines it as a jumble, a hodgepodge, and haphazard. And while that might seem like a good way to describe a crazy quilt, The term crazy in crazy quilts really doesn't originate with the thought that the maker was a little wacky. (laughs) Here's how it all started. In 1876, at the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition, there was a very popular Japanese exhibit in a pavilion, and it just enchanted people. It had displays of pottery where the glazes were crazed or split and cracked into glass-like shards. This crazing in the pottery became the inspiration for those who worked with fabric and made quilts. Now, crazy quilts were most popular during the Victorian era, especially during the late 1800s through the first decade of the 1900s in the United States. The charm of crazy quilts is that because it isn't a set pattern, no two are the same, making each one a unique work of the maker. Irregular shapes of jewel-toned silk, wool, velvet, and cotton were combined and then stitched to a base fabric. Then it was embellished with fancy stitches such as herringbone, chain stitches, and fly stitches using very colorful threads. Embroidered designs of flowers, children playing, and animals were also stitched onto these pieces. Cigarette silks and fabric cigar bands were also incorporated into crazy quilts. So Jody, I've never heard of
1: cigarette silks. Do you want to explain that a little more?
3: Yeah, cigarette silks, they were advertising in cigar and cigarette packages in the early 1900s. So it was a piece of fabric about one and three quarters by three inches, and these were inserted into the cigarette packages as premiums. Now there were images printed on here, and they had a variety of themes, and often they were in a series. Things like butterflies, European royalty, Native American chiefs and baseball players were just a few of the kind of themes that were printed and they were beautifully illustrated. So what happened is these cigarette silks made their way onto crazy quilts. This helps date a quilt as the printing of these silks was for a relatively short period of time in the early 1900s. Now crazy quilts were seldom quilted, most often they were tied. Initials and dates, or even full names and locations, also give us clues as to when, where, and who made the quilt. Another design element seen in Crazy Quilts is a fan block, and these were often located in the corners of the quilt. As far as size, Crazy Quilts are most often in the size of a throw. Victorian Crazy Quilts were made as much for display as they were for warmth. They often were thrown on the back of a chaise or a sofa for dramatic effect versus being used as bed coverings. And although they didn't have heavy use as bed coverings, some elements in crazy quilts, particularly silk, have deteriorated and shattered over time, and that makes finding a pristine crazy quilt harder to find these days. Originally, these quilts were made by wealthy women with the time and the money for expensive fabrics. But the fad caught on and many many ladies ended up making their own less fancy versions of crazies. Embellishing fabric and making things your own is again really popular today. And I love seeing how modern quilt makers are inspired by those who made crazy quilts from over a 100 years ago.
1: Thanks so much for sharing, Jody. That's so interesting. And of course, as many of our listeners know, Jodi is our antique quilt expert in the office. So if you're not already following her on Instagram, where she posts many beautiful photos of antique quilts, we'll link to her Instagram in the show notes so you can connect with her. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social. On today's interview, Joanna Bergerino, the editor of Quilts & More, chats with Heidi Stables of Fabric Mutt. Heidi is a talented pattern and fabric designer, blogger, and most recently, the author of her third book, Patchwork USA. Her projects are just the cutest and have a uniquely vintage vibe to them. You may even have seen her work in both Quilts and More and American Patchwork and Quilting magazines. In this chat, she shares on-the-go sewing tips, how she makes time to sew, and how she chooses fabrics for her projects. Enjoy.
4: Hi everyone, I'm here with Heidi Staples, the author of the new book, Patchwork USA. And I'm so happy to be here with you, Heidi. So I have a few questions for you. First, give us a little background about your life as a quilter. So I started quilting back in 2011
5: When I was home with three little girls who were one, two, and four years old, and I was losing my mind and needed something fun to do and really needed something creative to do. So I went online and looked at blogs, looked at sewing blogs. I read a lot of tutorials and thought I really wanted to learn how to quilt. I had done sewing and cross-stitch and lots of crafting over the years, but I'd never tried quilting. So I started quilting, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Went from one tutorial to the next, learned how to sew bags and pouches and all kinds of different things. And um, it was just so much fun. And I started my blog, Fabric Mutt, at the end of that year so that I could show what I was making to my family without having to send them emails every day. And um, got involved with other quilters online and just kind of took off from there.
4: That's amazing! So your latest book, Patchwork USA, focuses on sewing trips, such as going on retreats and road trips and projects that you can take with you. What are your favorite on-the-go sewing projects and how do you keep everything organized when you're away from your sewing space?
5: My favorite on-the-go project is definitely sewing English paper piecing hexagons. I love them because I can do it by hand. I don't need a machine. I can do it anywhere and it's really small. So I love to keep things organized in pouches. I also use um, tin boxes, lunch boxes. Those are great because the sides don't collapse. So it's small and it's sturdy and everything stays in one place. And it looks really cute.
4: Excellent. And you also like a lot of vintage feeling things. Is that correct? I am in love with anything vintage.
5: Um, I really, really love vintage. And the book has a very vintage feel, which I wanted it to have a vintage travel feel. So the photography... Um, I got to pull in a lot of my favorite vintage um, souvenirs and artifacts. And and thankfully, my um, editor, Suzanne, has lots of vintage stuff, too, that she mm. contributed to the project. So um, it was also fun. We got to put together a um, music playlist. Is at the end of the book, full of vintage music and recipes, and it's just full of all kinds of fun stuff.
4: Awesome. So I hear from many quilters that it can be a struggle to find time to sew, um, especially with you know, families and work. As a busy mom with three girls, how do you make time for sewing? And what advice would you give others who want to find more time for sewing? That's a great question.
5: The, the biggest thing that I had to learn was that any time is better than no time. So even if you only have 15 minutes, you can sew something. So um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is when, when you have time, take the time. When you have a chance, use it. I try to have things ready to go um, and organized so that I have a project with the pieces cut out. It's sitting in a basket so that when I have a minute, I can run, grab the basket, do some sewing for 15 minutes, put it aside, back in the basket again. That makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Planning ahead makes a big difference. And I think not feeling like I have to get everything finished at once. Mm-hmm when you take that pressure off yourself, you can just relax and have fun.
4: I like that idea of taking the pressure off. How do you, when you go back to the project, remember where you left off? Probably by putting it on top.
5: <laughs> That's probably the best way. But yeah, a lot of it's just kind of in your head. You just have to keep track of where you're at.
4: Awesome. So I always love the cute small projects you sew for your books and on your blog. Uh, such as pin cushions, pouches, and needlebooks. What appeals to you about small projects, and how did you get started making them?
5: I love small projects because, for a lot of reasons, they're easy to finish in a small amount of time, which especially when I started sewing and my girls were little, I only had a small amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, now I can get away in larger chunks, but a small project, it's it's fun, it's easy to finish, it's something that I'm gonna use or give away, mm-hmm. And it makes me feel like I've accomplished something. I feel like it's just instant gratification, sowing happiness in one little project.
4: <laughs> and who doesn't like a little instant gratification sometimes?
5: Absolutely, absolutely.
4: And how do you approach small projects differently than larger projects? That's
5: a good question. So small projects, I will usually start and finish in one in one set in one uh, sit down. The large projects, I have to break up. I, I'm just not. I'm working on a quilt right now, and it just feels like eternity. It feels like I will never finish. <laughs> and it's, I'm, so I do a lot more small projects than large projects. I like large projects. I love to use them. I love mm-hmm. the way they look. But it's hard for me because it's a different way of doing things. And so mm-hmm. I found I have, to, I have to kind of pace myself. Mm-hmm. I have to say, okay, it's all right. I'm going to do you know, five blocks a day, ten blocks a day, mm-hmm. and then um, you know, go on to the next thing. <clears throat> and so you have to kind of make peace with not finishing which for me is out of my comfort zone, but it's worth it. So just making sure I keep my stuff together, um, have an idea of what I want to finish each day so that I still feel like I'm getting something accomplished, even if it's not finishing the project.
4: So one of the things that you're known for is choosing fabrics from multiple collections rather than sticking with one collection. We tend to hear a lot of questions about how do you do that. So what are some of your tips for pulling fabrics that maybe weren't designed to go together, but go together really well? The wonderful thing about a collection of fabric is that
5: the designer went out of their way to put together a group of fabrics that would go well together and would coordinate and the colors would coordinate. And that's a lot of fun. I do love using a collection once in a while. But what I really love about choosing fabrics on my own is that I feel like it gives a project a really timeless look. Mm -hmm. When I see something made from a collection, I can say, oh yeah, that came out in the summer of 2017 and it kind of dates it for me when I choose the fabrics myself I can get an interesting mix I can make it really personal I can make it personal for the person that I'm giving it to or for the occasion that I'm giving it uh, giving it for so um, I think it's really fun to to bring that personality to the project in the fabrics that you choose not just in the project that you choose so I talk about this a lot in my book patchwork USA about the different kinds of prints that you can use and how to mix them up. And one of the things I talk about in the book is sometimes I feel like I'm playing a game of Sudoku, <laughs> where I'm kind of trying to look at the different columns and say, okay, do I have you know a dot print and a kingdom print and a stripe print and a solid print? And I'm looking across and down and diagonally. I really like to mix things up so that there's a lot of variety. When I'm doing backgrounds, Um, sometimes I'll use just solid white in a background um, on blocks sometimes I will throw in different shades of white or I'll I'll throw in uh, maybe one or two low volume prints Mm -hmm. because I feel like that adds a lot of interest so a lot of it is just choosing different types of fabrics and seeing how well they play together
4: excellent advice I love that you mentioned the different types of white I feel like a lot of people don't really notice that
5: It adds a lot of depth, a surprising amount of depth. You don't think that it will, but I'm always surprised that when you look at something with the background that's just white, it's good. But when you throw in different shades of white, it adds so much character to it, I feel like. It really does.
4: So also in the book, you share vignettes about your family and how that's influenced the projects that you design. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how your family influences your sewing life?
5: My family influences everything in my life, but definitely sewing, definitely my sewing. When I started sewing, a lot of the projects I made were for my kids. Um, I have three daughters, and um, they were, like I said, one, two, and four when I started. Now they are nine, 10, and 12 which is unbelievable to me and they still influence a lot of what I make it's fun they love to come in and they love to see what I'm selling I will ask them sometimes which fabric do you think I should use which color do you think works best they love giving me their opinion it makes them feel very much a part of things and I try to also think about their age um, you know what they need. I really want to make things that are going to be a part of their life and a part of their memories from childhood mm-hmm. um, because I feel like so much of what we do with our sewing, we're not just making things to make things. We're making things to become a part of our legacy, a part of our history and our family and our traditions. And we're really building, um, building a lot of what our family
4: is in the things that we sew. Excellent, so now we're gonna transition to some rapid fire questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite quilt block? Log cabin. I feel like that's a lot of people's favorite. (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite color palette and does it change? I love a rainbow of colors, but right
5: now, I always love a rainbow of colors, but right now my favorite is probably red, white, blue, and pink. Mm.
4: What is your favorite vacation
5: destination? Oh, wow. Anywhere with my family. I just love traveling with my family.
4: Does that include staycations?
5: Yes. Yes. (laughs) A lot.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And finally, what do you listen to while you're quilting? I listen to a lot of old music
5: and old movies, actually. I I love vintage, so Mm -hmm. anything from the 1930s to the 1950s. And uh, kind of raising my girls to do the same. My girls, uh, you know, for TV, they're watching *I Love Lucy* and *Zorro* and all the old stuff, just like I did. It's so much fun seeing them enjoy things that I enjoyed.
4: All excellent shows. Thank exactly. you so much for joining me, Heidi. It's been great. It has been so much fun. I
1: loved Joanna's conversation with Heidi. After we'd done this interview with Heidi she announced that she's stepping away from the quilting industry to focus on her health and her family. She'll still be sewing and maybe occasionally blogging and posting on social media, but she's shifting her focus for the time being. We'll link to her books, blog and social media sites in the show notes. And if you're curious, please read Heidi's blog and Instagram post about why she's taking a step back. It's a meaningful reminder to all of us that our work can't always come first, even if that work is our passion and hobby. Before we leave today, I need your help. We're doing a survey about our podcast and want to know more about you. Tell us what you love about the podcast and about your quilting hobby. Your answers will be used to make our podcast even better. As a thank you, one respondent will receive a $250 Visa gift card. Visit allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast survey 2020 to take this short survey today. We'll also link to the survey in the show notes. A few minutes of your time will really help us give more of what you love on future shows.
0: All and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at All Quilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week.